Christian, this is my podcast, The Bloody Vegans. You're very welcome to it. Each week, I'll be travelling ever deeper into the world of veganism, discovering along the way a multitude of viewpoints from the political and ethical to the practical. I'll be doing this through a series of conversations, each aiming to further illuminate my understanding and hopefully yours of all things plant-centric, and this week is no different. Uh, before we get into the episode at hand, I should uh, do a little bit of admin for you. Uh, if you would like to support the show and you are an Apple Podcasts user, um, do head over to the Bloody Vegans podcast on there uh, where you can subscribe. You can also subscribe to a um, Bloody Vegans Patreon package uh, through that Apple Podcast app for just 99 pence a month and that will support the show and give you early access to episodes and the like. So do feel free to do that if you feel so inclined. Uh, you can also head over to Patreon, search for The Bloody Vegans Podcast and there are a number of support tiers uh, that you can support the podcast with uh, there. Uh, in exchange for all kinds of different things, early access to episodes and merchandise and bits and pieces like that. So that is the shameless plugging done. Let's get on to the episode at hand. So uh, in this week's episode, I chatted with author and activist Todd Sinclair. He's the author of Rebel Vegan Life, a radical take on veganism for a brave new world, as well as the author of Rebel Vegan Life, an essential plant-based nutrition survival guide, and Rebel Vegan Ultimate Travel Guide for plant-based adventures in a brave new world. So three books in a year. It just prolific, um, and they're wonderful as well. Like all, all three books are are really great resources. Whether you've been vegan for five minutes or or fifty years, um, you'll get something from these books and from Todd's story, which is fascinating in itself. Todd grew up on a dairy farm in Canada. Uh, with all of the kind of uh, the things that you would imagine he'd witnessed, he'd witnessed um, and experienced those. And it was only later on in life through his travels uh, that he discovered veganism, actually through uh, some time where he was really unwell and spent some time in a monastery. Uh, I'm not going to do this story any justice, so I'm going to leave it to Todd. So without further ado, here's a conversation between me and author and activist Todd Sinclair. Wow. Uh, well, uh, it wasn't a. I, I always say I've gone from one end of the spectrum to the other because I grew up in a huge dairy farm. So um, it wasn't something I ever thought in my wildest dreams. I was one of those people, and I'm embarrassed to say, where I likely even made fun when I first heard of vegans. I don't know. 20, 30 years ago, uh, I couldn't get my head around it because I had immersed myself kind of in the, you know, I think there's, the word is carnist yeah. kind of ideology or, or, or world. So um, and what got me into it, I think, well, originally it would have been, uh, to cut a long story short, really, health. I mean, I, was, I became very ill. I ran a travel company in Asia and, uh, and traveled throughout Southeast Asia and had very trusted uh, even local street food vendors and uh, restaurants and cafes and little quirky little family-run places. And uh, I had a pretty strong constitution and I was getting ill and I was eating obviously meat on the road and, I, and, and, and that really made me think something's happening here. And um, so it was health that got me there. But I had had little bits. I, I don't think it just happened overnight. I mean, I was already listening to people 
and, and listening to the arguments. I was taking my head out of the sand in a way. You know, I've been conditioned that, you know, eating meat was natural and normal and, and even necessary mm. uh, in life. It was just the way of the world. And, um, and obviously that gets challenged, or, well, if you're open to it. I think mm. that's the thing, if you're opening to look and to be challenged. And so different people on some of the tours that I was organizing and uh, leading would talk about their lives. And, and I'd always be interested in telling me about the, you know, some of the philosophy of veganism. And so I was slowly, that was seeping in and mm. my, my belief system was being challenged. And then when I got really violently ill, um, I, I went to somewhere I felt really safe, which was bizarrely enough, uh, uh, a Buddhist monastery that I knew well because on my tours I worked with them and befriended them and they used to let us come by groups and, and see their monastery and, and feed us this vegan meal. Uh, and I'd have to say to everybody, sorry everybody, there's no meat on the plate today. <laughs> and, um, and anyway, I went there, I had a very good friend, the guy who I ran the tours with, uh, the, the monk there, and they took me in. And uh, and I kind of was nursed back to health in this quiet oasis. It, it really wow. was quite amazing. And, and it was explained some of this, not just, it's more than ethical, kind of the spiritual side of veganism. And I'm not a very spiritual person, to be honest, you know. Um, well, I, you know, um, not in a huge way. Um, and, and they explained kind of, you know, putting, uh, you know, not to have dead energy and flesh in you and to be pure of that, how important that was. But then the health aspect was that, you know, they put me on this herbal remedy and this plant-based diet. I, they didn't even really tell me. I was not explained this is, you know, uh, a vegan diet or do do do. It just happened. I got instantly better. I felt the benefits. So that really inspired me. So I thought when I go back out into the world, and I knew I had to, I was going to try to make this, integrate this into my life. And, uh, and that was, its, you know, had its own challenges because I wasn't like I was home in my home and I could go down to the Tesco Metro or the Sainsbury's and go to the vegan aisle. I, I was in, you know, the middle of, uh, I was in Vietnam actually at that time and I was flying to Laos in a few days. And uh, I had to find ways of making this work on the road with sometimes limited resources, but I was pretty determined then. You know, I'd let a, um, I decided that I wanted, I wanted to put um, this as a core belief. I, I was kind of already thinking back to some of the things that I took for granted or I assumed, and I was, I was almost getting upset with myself that I hadn't questioned this earlier. So, um, so yes, uh, I went out there and I, I had to then kind of relearn and I had to kind of, um, all, the, all the local restaurants that knew me so well, of course, they just assumed they knew exactly what I liked. <laughs> and I had a bit of power because I'd have groups of, you know, dozens of people come through their doors. And, and uh, I was one of those people, I was like a, a vegan Gordon Ramsay. I'd come in and rearrange the furniture and tell the kitchen <laughs> staff what to do. And um, so anyway, I, 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 I'll never forget, I came out of the, um, the, the monastery just outside of Hue in northern Vietnam in the hills. And I came to the town, Hue, the town, um, which is a, a, an interesting town anyway. It's a dusty little town in a way. And I was walking down a street just on my own. I, hadn't, I didn't have a big group with me. I thought I could, you know, just quietly go from A to B. And... Um, and, the, and I heard this screaming, ah, it's you, come in, come in, come in. And they dragged me in and sat me in the window seat and, and chatted. But then a minute later, I had, well, first I had this, um, 
I had the coconut, fresh coconut, because I love my fresh coconut, and they knew that. Like, I, I had been there for months, maybe eight, nine months, and then the next thing you know, the chef comes out with this steaming plate. I could, knew exactly, it was my favorite dish They would have made me dozens of times, and of course, it was a big, it had chicken, and I think it even had beef, and it likely had a mix of animals, and I had to go, oh, this is, this is my first challenge. Mm. You know, I have to somehow respect this culture and, uh, and talk about this uh, and, and kind of, you know, um, make my, uh, take all everything I've learned and all the confidence I've just barely kind of gathered and mustered and do it in a really nice way and explain that now I don't consume any animal products and this is why. And we had that discussion and, and I was really impressed at how the, the, the positive response mm. because, you know, they very much listened and wanted to learn. And I think Southeastern cultures anyway, well, they're very polite, obviously, but they're also, they, you know, uh, traditionally didn't have a lot of meat in their diet and, and they do. It's a culture until Westernization, you know, didn't have a lot of the chronic diseases yeah. and the things associated with fast food and meat. And so they were very responsive. And um, I went into the kitchen with them and explained what was vegan and what wasn't. You know, because at first it was like, no, no this, no, what, no milk, no da, 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 da. And we literally just physically went in and veganized um, uh, the uh, parts of their kitchen. And they made me, of course, they made me my favorite dish without meat. And, and it really changed, uh, it, it boosted my confidence as well that I can go out there in the world with a big group of people and, um, and take this on and make this work. And uh, it was a really lovely experience. And then when I go back to this little town or other little towns, they would get all excited and they go, oh, come, come, come. And we've, we've just had a new uh, vegan menu or plant-based menu. And they'll show me like, you know, they've added things I've suggested or they've created their own. And it was, that was really lovely. Cause I thought, you know, uh, just by sharing and opening up, um, Without it, without it being too heavy, I didn't want it to be too strong about, you know, right and wrong. It was more about explaining me and, and why I come to this and my choices, my personal choices. And, and it made our connections actually deeper. Yeah. If anything, opened up my world. And that was really interesting because I was scared it would close my world. So it was a slow process. It was becoming vegan was really something that, um, well, it was a health reason. I always say I came for the health, and a lot of people say this, come for the health, it's kind of stayed for the animals, for the environment, as you start to learn more and you do that deep dive. But um, definitely on the road, it would have been seven years ago now, um, I, um, I, I think it really did open things up for me and really uh, all my connections there just got stronger. Uh, I was my authentic self. I was feeling, I was, you know, I was proud. I was living kind of my best life. And um, wow, um, now, now, and like I say, there's a few restaurants still there in Southeast Asia. They even call it the Todd Special, uh, <laughs> where they've created maybe a curry or a fu, and they've, um, they might put uh, different proteins like jackfruit in it and, uh, and created these dishes and got excited about it, you know, and realized that, they've realized also that the world is changing. And before they likely introduced a, a meat-heavy diet because of tourism, because they thought, well, the Westerners or the tourists want, yeah. you know, everything's centered around meat on a plate. And, and I, you know, uh, with a bit of time and with um, the realizing, wait a minute, we need to respond to this. Almost veganism's coming, you know, on the map. Um, 
And that was nice to see. And I saw that evolve over the next five years while I toured throughout that region. And I slowly maybe tried to have a little influence and veganize um, uh, you know, the little restaurant and cafes I knew. But I saw it change and um, that was wonderful. So yeah, it was quite a journey on the road in Asia. <laughs> sounds, sounds incredible. I, I'm fascinated by this time in the monastery. I just, the, the, whole, the whole premise of that, like the, it's almost like from a film. <laughs> just, uh, you know, this, this sort of, you know, the, the, <laughs> the hero kind of, uh, you know, <laughs> brought back to health through, through this monastery. It's just, just incredible. It's got a kind of a, a filmic quality to it, that, that story. So, yeah, yeah. No, it, it's, it really was a magical time because I'd never really stayed there. I had traveled through there and I worked with Mr. Van and, and the abbot there, the head monk. And because we did these motorcycle t- tours through the, the mountainsides and there's this monastery there. So um, I asked around and was introduced and, um, and we had to be very careful and, and we ate separately. Uh, um, uh, uh, you know, there was no meat and it was, I was wondering if these harsh conditions would be okay for my travelers, but they welcomed us in. And, mm. and we had these meals outside and, um, and they were just this, this amazing moment that everybody had this quiet, it was so silent. You know, and that's what my, my yeah. guests just by uh, eating when we would have these uh, tours, and this was a part of it, the lunch, basically. And we would eat outside and the, and the monks would come out and put down the meals and off they would go. And of course, I would go in and, and, and meet with them. Um, and there's a few of them that spoke better English and, and make connections. And then when I was there and ill, I just, it's, to me, it just seemed like the natural thing because I always felt so safe there. And, and they really did take me in and it was a beautiful, and I was very, very blessed actually. Um, and I, now with COVID, of course, I haven't been back there for a couple of years. And one of the first things I want, yeah. I wanted to do it in February and March, but there were still high, still big restrictions actually in Southeast Asia generally. But when I have the opportunity, right. I will be going back. And, uh, and, and that's one of the places, so many different places, but definitely that monastery that changed my life. You know, they trans formed my life uh, more than I'm anywhere on earth, maybe, um, and helped me connect with kind of my authentic self and see it as um, something that was not just viable, but something that would enrich my life. So I'll go back. And now mm. it wasn't like I was staying in a five-star hotel. I could have gone, you know, somewhere a lot more posh down the road at Hanoi. <laughs> but, you know, I was, it was a very simple Spartan kind of, I was there for a couple of weeks, um, but it was just so... Um, there was I, I, someone who's not you know highly spiritual. It felt almost spiritual. It was awakening, definitely. Yeah, yeah. Having you know these this sort of series of epiphanies, this discovery, this life changing kind of experience, and then I, I'm just intrigued about looking back at your your early years on the dairy farm and how you kind of come to feel about those times and and. Obviously, it's really complex because, you know, families, you know, that they're, they're they're so important to us. They're so intrinsic. Um, your childhood memories, you know, can often be filled with with positivity and all these kind of things. But then you have this kind of this epiphany, this discovery, this change of viewpoint, and and that could be really difficult to square. So I'm kind of if you're if you're comfortable sort of talking about, it, I'm. I'm 
fascinated to understand how you how you feel about that. Yes, uh, well, that was when I when I started the process of writing the book, and that was during lockdown. So I almost had this, you know, um, well, this enforced kind of isolation. So I could I could go there and do mm. the research, and some of the research just wasn't getting the latest science and and uh, nutritional advice and all these things. But it was it was my story. I realized as well a little bit, you know, that um, yeah. especially that first book. And it was difficult to write. And I had to be, I was very mindful that I had to be cautious and, and careful and respectful, I guess, of, of, of my heritage. Because I, you know, I grew up on a, on a it was a mixed-used farm, but uh, the main, um, main income came from dairy. We had huge, like hundreds, um, a herd of hundreds of dairy cattle and some beef cattle, actually. Um, and um, so I, I, I found that very hard to, to kind of, I wanted to tell it and I knew it needed to be told. And I was, even while I was writing it, I knew that obviously I'd come from a system, a belief system that I now kind of could see for itself um, and question and mm. see the other side. But when I was writing the book, things came back to me that I, I had not remembered since I was a child. I would be, you know, working on my own in this kind of mm. echo chamber and... Um, and then I'd, have a, I'd wake up at night and remember something. And I would remember, I, um, and things that were, and I hate, it's such an emotive word, but abuse really, you know, this kind of normalized abuse. And I was mm. very careful not to use that because, you know, my family were, you know, um, they treated their animals as best they could. And they had a, you know, it was a, it was a, a farm where cows did go out and graze and, and you know, they cared. I remember my grandfather and even my father staying up all night with a sick animal. You know, I mean, it was something. You know, they were a commodity at the end of the day, but still, you know, they they were very much involved in wanting the 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 land to be well treated and the animals to be well treated. But I also recognized that it was still there were things that you know, as a child, I had blocked and um, and things like even like mm. the little calves dehorning them. You know, taking the horns and burning them out and. And really, you know, things that, and I won't go into it because some of them are likely, <laughs> for me, I've had to face that they're just normalized. But, um, um, you know, some things that I, I had to confront as well and that I hadn't really uh, as this stage in my life because I just kind of, well, that's in the past. So it was, it was really, um, it was that bit was a little strange to write and I, and I hope I got the balance right between this, fact that I did grow up and I think most people do I mean let's face it you know we grow up thinking that it's all kind of mm. natural and normal I was just you know really that system uh, I was part of that food system part of the farming the agricultural industry I was born within it it was like five generations since my family came from Scotland um and 1830-something, you know, on a ship they would have come over. They cleared the land, literally. You know, it was um, one of my ancestors mm. would have cleared the land that's my family farm and cut down the, the trees and, and plowed the fields for the first time. So it's quite an incredible, you know, that, that connection, that link. Um, so to understand that, you know, and I, I, I knew that even my family likely had, and my, what it would be, uh, my, my father, my grandfather, my uncle, maybe would have conflicts themselves about some of the things they were doing um, and had to just get on with that job. Uh, but I knew they cared about the environment and all those things. Um, 
And you know what amazes me is that at the time, within it, it took me a long time to reflect. I just said, this is, you know, somehow that conditioning is so strong. Uh, that's what amazes me. Like I, mm. I knew something, like I knew that I pulled away from things, but I was involved in things that were abuse, that was normalized violence, and I can recognize it as that now. And it, it can be disturbing and shocking. Um, and yet I would go to, I remember as a child, like my parents would go away in the summer, stay on a holiday, and we'd go to a zoo. And me finding zoos very uncomfortable. I couldn't smile in the photographs. I would, didn't want to go into the enclosures. I, I looked at the animals in those um, cages or pens or whatever, these exotic animals, and knew that, knew that they, there was a sadness. And maybe I recognize that sadness mm. now. Um, although the farm animals, to be, it was just a different thing. Somehow I knew something was wrong. And, and people used to say to me as a child, why can't you, you know, smile? You look like you're not having fun. And I just was just not comfortable with the whole concept of these animals. And I remember I was supposed to hide, uh, hold this baby tiger or something. And I was like, no, I'm not doing that. I, I just thought the whole thing was wrong. And, and yet, I, you know, the farming was just something that was the way of the world for me. And it had been, and it was all around me. I was in a farming community. I grew up in this small island. Well, it's not that small. It's one of the 10 provinces, Prince Edward Island on the east coast of Canada. And it's farming and fishing, <laughs> you know? <laughs> That's kind mm -hmm. of the livelihoods of uh, the community that I grew up with. Uh, so now for me to go, wow, you know, to my journey is quite uh, from one end to, to the other end. I'm kind of, it's kind of extreme when I think about it now, actually, and you, you question me about it. Um, but um, yeah, I mean... Um, the, those, those things at the time, I remember being uncomfortable and sad at times. I remember playing with like the calves when they were born and that, you know, there's nothing more sweet than, um, than uh, calves, you know. And, um, and, but hearing the crying, hearing the crying is at night as well. And, and, and seeing that and seeing all those things. So from very, very young eyes. So you do just kind of think, well, well, we have to drink milk and this is the way it has to be and okay. Uh, yeah. you, you, and, uh, and now I wish I would have questioned it obviously earlier and, uh, and I think, wow, I can't believe I didn't connect those dots. Um, but it took me a while. It took me quite a while. Um, and, um, and it's still, yeah, I mean, I'm proud of Canada though in the farming community there. You know, they've, they've moved a long way. Um, um, you know, they've taken... Um, They've taken kind of milk off their food charts. So the dairy industry there is changing dramatically. Uh, many farmers are having to transition. It's impressive uh, as a country. Mm -hmm. I think they're leading the ways in some ways. You know, I think a lot of politicians are putting their heads in the sand and don't want to deal with, you know, uh, the climate crisis is there, but they don't want to deal with the farming, the agricultural business. But they have taken dairy off health guidelines and uh, off the, uh, my plate, they call it. And, wow. and 10%, mm -hmm. I think, the latest thing of Canadians are identify as vegan or vegetarian. And that's, wow, that's pretty incredible. Wow. So, and even my family, you know, now that I've, I'm out and proud vegan, <laughs> you know, that was quite a thing in itself. And um, I, um, yeah, they've respected that and they're listening. And I, I remember barbecues as a child were just these big things with, you know, our steaks on them. And uh, that, mm. and there was a pride there, you know. This is our cows, 
uh, steaks and hamburgers. And, and now, there's, uh, now they rec- recognize that this should be reduced. My mother specifically, you know, has much less meat on the plate and very sparingly and is trying to, but it's so ingrained. I see my, you know, my father's family and the different siblings and meat is just always the center. So it's, it's a total rethinking and that cognitive dissonance, it's, that's something I'm really interested in as well as, and the book is that I had it for so long, how that happens and how that yeah. manifests itself. I hope I haven't rambled on. <laughs> I could talk all day like this. No, not at all. Not at all. And I could listen all day, to be honest. It's just fascinating. Um, and, and was that relationship always like that? You know, they were respect, receptive. When you first told them, you know, I can, I can imagine like from a, you know, coming from the background that you came from, yeah. you know, an established dairy farm, so on and so forth. When you first sort of said, I've had this, you know, this series of incredible experiences and th- this is this is a belief system that I that I have now, and I hold I hold dear. What was the response like? Yeah, it was mixed. It was mixed, but it's like anything. At first, it has to be absorbed and explained. And you know, the hard thing is, is I didn't want to be confrontational. I didn't want to get too down the the ethical route. I wanted to talk about health. I tried to think, okay, mm. if I'm going to do this. I don't want to be, it's very confronting. I think vegans generally, a lot of society find it confronting. There's that, you know, I call it moral schizophrenia. Like, you know, they, they, they against animal cruelty and, and love animals, absolutely 100%. And yet they're, you know, they're, with their money, they're going out and they're supporting obviously abusive, abusive mm-hmm. animal practices or, you know, eating meat. Um, so similar thing, I, I, I didn't want it to be that confrontation. So for me, I went in originally, now it has expanded that conversation, but I went in on a health, purely health. And, yeah. and I, wanted, I wanted to go in there as well because I was worried about my family. You know, my family have, have such a dairy, especially, I remember my grandmother going out, you know, we had this barn and they had the big, the dairy vats where all the cows, milk would go in before the big trucks would take them off to the, you know, the dairy plants. And um, with a jug and just scooping it out. So it was full fat, full, like just, you know, with all the, you know, lactose juices and whatever was in that cow. It wasn't like the 2% you buy in a supermarket. And that's what we'd pour into our glasses. Um, so, so with my family, I was also not doing it. I didn't want to be confrontational about there's a right and wrong and the ethics and let's go down that route, even the environmental route necessarily. I wanted to talk about me and my health and why it's important and, and try to uh, explain it from my perspective and then hopefully inspire them as well. Um, but it was, it was sad for me as well, to be honest, because some of the nicer moments, my father always used to get up and make breakfast and he makes these amazing kind of egg breakfasts and he'd go, you know, you'd get the eggs and he would crack them open and he'd make us all eggs, uh, eggs and toast and sometimes bacon, but always pretty much always eggs. And uh, even as a child going off to school, it wasn't my mother who did that. My father made that meal of the day. And so it was that time that you had with, with my father or we, my siblings and I had with our father that was, you know, he's making food, it's in the kitchen. It was really, it was such a wonderful time. And even when I went home, when, uh, since I've moved and I'm based in London, I, I treasured those times of coming in early, coming down to the kitchen table early and, and dad making, mm-hmm. there making eggs and us sitting down and having breakfast and my mother might come in, but it was our moment and it was his thing. So um, those traditions, and I think a lot of that is, you know, it's breaking those traditions and those habits as well as, you know, all the, all the science, but it's that emotive 
uh, thing. And I, I had to, you know, and that was, that was sad to do, to say, I won't be able to do this anymore with my father. We'll have to change the, change the way we do this, for sure. So, mm. um, so, yeah, I think with my father's family, who are a big farming family, uh, to challenge their whole uh, family business and their heritage. Um, now, they were very good. Um, sometimes, you know, you get all those questions and sometimes you've, we've all heard them as plant-based vegans, you know, that oh, protein and this and that. And you feel like, okay, you, you have to keep responding to these things. But that's, that's the nature of coming out, you know what I mean, as a vegan. And I, like, I always say you come out continually every time you go to a new dinner party. You have to kind of sometimes take those awkward questions mm. and come out. With my family, I, I, didn't, I wanted to do it really sensitively and I thought about it a lot. When I was flying home that first time, uh, I had to think, okay, how do, we, how do we approach this? How do we do this in a way that uh, doesn't, um, doesn't uh, reflect, you know, not confronting? So anyway, the, um, my mother now is really on board and she loves the fact, okay, listen, I'm going to go buy all these plant-based milks. And there's so much more out there now, <laughs> you know? And so all of a sudden there's an almond or a soy milk in the fridge and she, you know, she's trying to introduce it and I can see because, you know, she's trying to introduce it with the rest of the family. Uh, my sisters come on board and they're very proud that they have very little meat or they only do it once a week or whatever. Or, you know, everybody has their story, but um, I think uh, for me, I want it to be just uh, an inspiration and, and to show, I think all of vegans can do that. That's what we can do when we walk into a dinner party uh, with new people is just show, okay, well, you, there's a, you know, a vegan in the room and we're, we're healthy, we're here, we're alive. All of this is possible, you know. Uh, it doesn't have to, you know, meat isn't or, or dairy meat or meat products are not somehow unnecessary or natural or the way, the way it has to be. So it's transformed my family in the last few years and I'm hopeful that it's, it might even be life-changing, you know, because there was so much meat on the plate, so heavily meat-based and sometimes processed meat like sausages, that are so carcinogenic, and, and I would see that and would upset me because I, you know, I want them to be healthy and I want them to live long. And they are healthy people. You know, I grew up in a very healthy, I never saw alcohol, no one smoked. It was just that the only big health concern uh, within my culture and my family, because it's, you know, it's a very Protestant work at um, community and family. So there wasn't any other vices. They're outdoor living, strong exercise, off the land, no alcohol. I, I honestly didn't see alcohol. Um, I didn't, you know, very seldom people would be smoking. So it was just these diets. And if I could, mm. I thought if I can help shift that uh, through inspiration, through information, um, then that will help not, my family, definitely the people I care about my, near me, hopefully have a better life. Um, so the health aspect was the big one. And they've taken it on board now few awkward bumps in the road, a lot of awkward questions. But it's just about how you engage and showing your authentic self and how excited you are, I think, and how, how good it's been for you uh, can really dampen any of that resistance or, or you know, put it at bay. And now, um, now it's, it's wonderful, you know, and I see, I see my, my farming community changing and alternatives coming in. And uh, I, what, what does upset me now when I go home to Canada, it used to be you know, these beautiful picturesque fields with cows grazing, uh, you know, the black and white cows dotted around the field and horses. 
And it was that picturesque storybook, children's storybook kind of look to it, you know, uh, which is deceptive, mm. I know. But now you don't <laughs> see that. I go home now in the summers. The fields are empty and the, the old wooden barns are kind of collapsing because there's all these prefabricated, sometimes round, square uh, and, uh, enclosures where basically, you know, the industrialized factory farming has become the right. norm there. The, the, the smaller family-run farms that I grew up with, you know, quite a while ago now, 40 years ago, they've been replaced and bought out by bigger farmers who are now these huge-scale farmers who don't... The, often, though, the cows are out for a minimal amount of time, but the fields are empty. You can see them up in the back, set back into the road or up on a hill, these big fabricated buildings. Um, and I, I hate to think the unimagined, you know... Uh, um, abuses and 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 treatment of the animals in those buildings that might just be walking around all day and the feed in the middle, so that's changed. Uh, that's changed dramatically where I grew up. Um, and but my family have been uh, have embraced it, and I think I'm hopeful that it uh, could be uh, a li- uh, you know a life enhancing and prolonging thing for yeah. them. When, when did you discover a, a passion and a talent for writing? When did that come into the mix? Well, uh, well, I, 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 I don't know if I have one. I hope so. I, mean, I, I, I always loved writing. The thing, <laughs> I'd say you definitely do. <laughs> well, <laughs> it's funny because when I was, when I grew uh, in school, I had uh, undiagnosed dyslexia for a while, so I shied away from from that because I, I, I had to really focus uh, more than most people. Um, but I, I knew I loved reading, and I loved I loved you know the, the English language and, and 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 words, so bizarrely. And um, then when I started traveling, I was writing for um, some travel publications. So I was uh, there was an Australian magazine, a travel magazine, that I wrote a few articles for because I'd be going to all these wonderful places and I'd be exploring, you know, Sumatra, and uh, places like that. And mm-hmm. and they may not have the Budget. I got in touch with them to send their, you know, local person out. So I was there, and they said, "Can you write a, you know, 500-word piece on this, or can you do this?" So, so I had these connections where I was writing, and I took it very seriously. Especially being dyslexic, is that I was double-checking everything. I mean, I was, you know, OCD about this, and hmm. um, and I was writing so all these travel articles as part of my work as a, you know, with my travel business in Southeast Asia. And, uh, and really enjoyed that and loved, and loved that. And then it was, well, when lockdown happened, obviously my, my life kind of just, you know, disappeared um, pretty much mm-hmm. overnight. Um, I remember doing a tour in Myanmar, Burma, or Myanmar, and, they, um, and China's right next door, obviously the border. And you're hearing about this COVID and it getting more serious. And I had a group of 15 people and not really... You know, within the group at dinner, we might be, oh, well, you know, this is happening, but not taking it that seriously still. And um, by the end of that tour, we were all sent home and my job was done, you know, and I had to kind of go, wow. And I, I, you know, uh, the borders were coming down. So what I do is specialize Mm -hmm. in these multinational tours where you're literally going, you know, I might have five countries in a month in 30 days. So... That was not, I, I realized then that, wow, that's gone. Um, my, what I built my career on for the last 11, 12 years was just kind of 
suddenly gone. So it was a really confusing time. And I, I, came, I came back to London. I didn't even have anywhere to live. My flat was rented out. I shouldn't have been there, you know. Um, I had a friend who disappeared and eventually died. There was a lot happening. It was quite a dark time. So I found a place, um, uh, and I was living uh, down in Brighton, actually, in the UK. And um, I had to kind of, you know, the dust settle. And I thought, I have to, you know, this isn't going to go away. This isn't going to be a couple months. This is going to last a while. And I might need to rethink my life and, and reinvent myself. And, you know, at my age, I was thinking, wow, that's, that's a big one. So <laughs> I, I basically thought about all the things. I got online and looked at courses. And I took a couple different courses. I, I, first of all, I did a um, FBA, which is fulfilled by Amazon, if you don't know what that is. And it's basically where right. they, I was thinking all these amazing things I'd found in Southeast Asia, these incredible, I don't know, computer bags made out of um, cement bags. And, you know, I, I knew all the manufacturers and the markets. So I thought I could sell these on Amazon. And that was my first thing. And I learned that, I took a course on that and... I thought, wow, this is not going to be a lot of fun. This sounds like a lot of, you know, a lot of just, ah, uh, you know, the nightmare and the paperwork and all that stuff. And then I thought about writing and I thought, I love writing, but could I ever make a go of this? Like, you know, I've just done little articles here and there and written in my journal, really. Um, so I took a publishing course, uh, a self-publishing course, because I said, if, you know, I could show my books to other publishers, but well, let's learn the whole from kind of the ground up, let's learn the, 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 the whole business. So I took a great publishing course, mm. and, um, and, um, and that took pretty much the first lockdown, if you think there's a succession of them, wasn't there? So the first lockdown, I literally immersed yeah. myself on how this works, this, this whole world, and how you get the books out there, and how you, know, how you deal with other professionals. I mean, I, I, I can't do everything. There's mm. a lot of spinning plates, but... Um, I needed to learn the, the basics. And while I was doing that, I was coming up with a concept. I thought, what, what do I want to write about? And at first it was going to be travel, because that's what I, I've been doing for most of my career, most of my life. And um, I thought about different travel, and I was studying that niche within, say, Amazon, the world's biggest bookseller. I was studying that niche and looking at some of the places where there was, you know, the um, the, uh, the competition and how many reviews books had and the, and the demand. And I realized, let's niche down further. Let's kind of pair my two twin uh, passions in a way, veganism and travel. And so the first book that came to me was a vegan travel guide. Um, and I looked at it and I, I started getting excited about it and writing an outline thinking, well, that should be in a vegan travel guide, or that's what I've learned on the road, or what do people ask? And it wasn't just a vegan travel guide, especially with COVID. I thought COVID's just making everything, all the vegan values, I call them, you know, around sustainability and, and compassion and all these things. They're, making, they're highlighting them, you know? And I thought that feeds mm. into travel as well, you know? And how uh, travel and veganism aren't that far they're actually quite connected. They make you think differently. They challenge you. They push you outside your comfort yeah. zone a little bit. And they make you want to be a better person. I think that was the thing. And I thought, wow, the two things that really uh, I'm passionate about actually are quite connected. And there's not a lot out there. Um, and even people who maybe aren't 100% plant-based often go away and say, well, I don't want to eat the local meat or I'm scared about that, you know? And... Um, 
So I started, uh, you know, and I was looking out into a world that was kind of in confusion and chaos. And it was like, you know, kind of a, an unknown and scary time. Um, mm. And I was isolating alone and locked down alone. So I had no diversions, which, you know, usually I would be running around and, you know, I'm a pretty active person. And I started writing this, uh, doing the outline, because I'd learned to, you know, I'd done the publishing course. I understood the process of how you need to create these books. And I started the outline. And before I could even start the outline, I was writing the book because I was too excited about getting something down. <laughs> um, and so, yeah, it's, I started writing it um, with the goal that as, as, to self-publish and to make this a, a business. But also, I think, I didn't know if it'd make money necessarily. You know, I'd done my research. I'd looked at it. Um, but I knew I had a passion for it, I, I, and I knew that I could convey that onto the page, and I knew I wanted to. Um, so that was the start. That's why I started writing. Um, it was just the circumstances. If you think I would have stayed there, I actually started writing a book on the Mekong River. I used to do two days on the Mekong River, going between Thailand and Laos on a lot of my tours. And you'd be two days on a slow boat on the Mekong. So I started writing uh, the ultimate uh, backpacker's guide, how to pack the perfect backpack. And I'd write it on my iPhone. Um, so I had that, but I also talked about within that book uh, what to bring along and what to pack. And a lot of them were things that were as a plant, and I had a section on plant-based food. So I kind of took that, um, or plant-based um, travel. Sustainable travel is what it was called. And that was part of it as well. I'd already had a little bit of it there. That was the germ of it or whatever, the seed rather. Mm. And um, so anyway, it just became this passion project. And then, you know, the lockdowns were extended or there, then there was another one or another one. And yeah. the other books came from it organically. And I almost couldn't stop myself. I had too much to say <laughs> then. And I realized <laughs> before the travel guide came out, I needed to have a foundation for this brand. You know, I wanted to create a whole kind of yeah. brand. And the foundation uh, needed to be why veganism matters. Um, mm -hmm. You know, in this post-COVID or, or COVID world, you know, I think COVID's, you know, here, likely you were, we're gonna have to live in, it's the new normal. So this new normal, why veganism mm -hmm. matters. And I thought that's gotta be the first book. So I'd already started writing, well, I had it kind of written in rough draft form, the travel guide was my first one because it really was my passion. And then I set it aside and I started an outline and getting research and looking at the latest studies and writing this foundational book that really would set, um, you know, uh, I wanted to have the first post-pandemic analysis of why veganism matters. So, because I thought all the other books out there, and there was a lot, so the general vegan niche, I thought, wow, I'm competing with some of the big guns here, and there's a lot there. Mm. It's, a, it's a crowded niche, as they say. And, um, <laughs> and what I did was say, you know, what well, this is different, because this is showing, you know, we're entering, the world has changed dramatically, you know? This is why veganism matters now, why COVID has highlighted why these issues are so important. And, um, and so then, and, the, and then I wrote a nutrition guide, and I couldn't stop myself. Lucky lockdown went on for about a year because otherwise there might just be one book. <laughs> <laughs> so from, from start to finish, in a year, you'd written two complete books. Well, three. I, then, three. <laughs> like I say. That's incredible. It, well, it was kind of a year, within a year and a half, I'd written a year and a couple months. 
Because like I said, I started on my travel guide that was just, it, that just yeah. came out of me. Like that was just like, it wrote itself. <laughs> uh, uh, mm. You know, because like I said, the Mekon had already started this idea. Yeah. Like, a, like only, not long before, maybe only a few months before, I was on the Mekon River and you have long days and a lot of thoughtful days there. It's beautiful. And I'd started this book on sustainable travel and packing the, planning the perfect uh, backpack. And that, when I started writing this book, uh, some of that came to me. And this book wrote itself. And then the other ones I wanted to write about why veganism matters. But that's the deep dive. And if you think... That wouldn't yeah. necessarily, I was advised by my publishing course, people don't want to read that. They don't want to know the why. They want to know the how. They want solutions. They want action-based. And I was writing this deep, you know, an analysis of vegan values and your, motive, your driving forces of veganism so everybody could have this, um, uh, could find their own motivation. Mm. And, and, you know, some of that's uncomfortable reading. And that's my story as well, growing up in a dairy farm and me confronting my past. So that's that first book, Why Veganism Matters, The Radical Take on Veganism. But then I thought I need the how as well to complement it. So they're like complementary <laughs> books. So then I worked with a nutritionist in the Netherlands doing Skype um, you know, uh, sessions and brainstorming. And we wrote the nutrition guide, the kind of how-to nutrition guide with all the stuff about different vitamins and minerals and what you have to be aware of and with my recipes. So they were kind of companion pieces, these first two books. And um, so I always say I have the, the why, why veganism matters. The how is, you know, how to incorporate veganism into your life in a healthy way. And then the where, where to go. Uh, so I didn't mean it to be that way. All that kind of happened when I had this in, the, in my echo chamber of lockdown, is that one book led to the next. And they yeah. all happened. I didn't sit down there with a great master plan saying, I'm going to write three books by the end of this lockdown and I'm going to, you know, <laughs> take over the world. Uh, but they, they all kind of, each kind of led to the other and they fit together. And uh, it was actually kind of really exciting. And then when I, you know, and then I became, you know, I worked with a, an editor. I actually worked with two editors because I wanted the, you know, I wanted the best quality, the best book out there I, I could have and hopefully one of the best books out there. And that was its own other process. You know, I had to kind of give away a little bit of the ownership and it, it's, it's my voice and my words, but they would say, tone that down or bring that out or we got to cut this. And, and you had to not be precious about it because I needed that perspective. I wrote these literally, you know, without any feedback, alone, sitting at my, yeah. my table every day. Um, and I, like I said, wake up sometimes with nightmares, bringing up things from the past. Uh, yeah. It was quite a process. It really was. Yeah. It was I imagine it, it might have been actually quite validating in a way. Although, like you say, you had to give up a little bit of ownership, but giving it over to an editor and the editor not saying, you, you know, you're, you're way off course here, but actually saying, no, actually, you just need to bring this up or change this or alter that. As a, as a person who'd, who'd just come to writing as in this kind of way, if you like, you know, lockdown one, that was when you were going to write this, these, this, to start these series of what, what became three books. Um, I imagine it was quite validating in a way, having, having editors look over them and say, actually, you've, you've really got something here. Yes, it, it was. I mean, it was challenging at first because it's like handing over, you know, your firstborn child. Here <laughs> yeah. you go, raise it for me. <laughs> uh, I, yeah. I knew I had to do it. And, um, and I told them, I, I, um, I had a great um, editor, Gareth, um, 
uh, in Hertfordshire and he was wonderful. I said, I'm not precious. Please do not think that, you know, you need to pander to me. I said, I, I need these to be, I, I want to compete with the big guns here. I need these to be the best books out there. Yeah. And I said, you know, bring, bring it on. And he did. And that was what was great. And I said, and, and he would come back with huge notes. He said, it was a whole ch- there's three main, well, four main driving forces in the first book. You know, the, the, the health, the environment, the social impact, um, um, and the environment, and the animals. And he would come back with one saying, I need more of your voice here. You're, you're, and that's what I did with the animal welfare mm. section as I made it really scientific. And because it was uncomfortable for me. Right. And so I had yeah. all the latest science and I said, why, you know, and especially, I mean, it's, it rings through and I had everything about the pandemic. I said, you know, uh, 75 to 80% of, you know, our world diseases have come from our treatment of animals. That's shocking stuff right there. You know, we should be learning yeah. from. We know this. It's been kind of uh, the evidence, uh, the science is in and, um, and, and to avoid future pandemics. So I had this quite a strong chapter, I think, on this with the latest information, especially um, post-COVID, why health mm. uh, was so important to avoid future pandemics. And so he said, yep, great, great. It's, it's a great scientifically backed article. He said, but you're somehow, it's very cold. It's, uh, we need your story. And that's when I, and it's actually, I think it's called Farm Boy Vegan now, the whole chapter. So <laughs> he, he forced me, he, he poked the bear. And it's said, ah, and then all of a sudden I went, okay, this is kind of my story as well. You know, that um, I, I was brought up thinking this was natural and normal. And I used to um, milk the cows and do these things and, and, and promote this. Um, so uh, it made it more real that I came, from, I came from this industry that is promoting this. And, you know, we took farm subsidies and that was part of my life. And, you know, things that I was trying to expose... Mm. Um, were things that I took it, uh, my family, my, my business, my, uh, my, in the past I've taken advantage of. So he, uh, yeah, the editor, editing process was interesting. And sometimes, sometimes I, I, I caught myself getting a little pressure. So I really like the way I say that, but you're saying it doesn't make sense. Okay, let's turn it on its head. <laughs> let's keep some of what, what do I actually mean and how can I say it better? And, um, yeah. and he tightened it up. I wanted these, you know, I, I, I think everything mm. should be focused and have an impact. And if I was ever going off in a tangent, that's the person who's going to tell you. So I would say to anybody, mm. you know, if you think you can write a book without outside kind of input and a good editor, I, you know, uh, unless you're the best writer in the world. And even then, I think everybody can do with it. I often watch a TV show and I said, I wish they had a better editor. Um, so I see that now. I realize how important that is. So as the books went on, for my travel guide, I actually had two editors. I had Gareth and I had another editor in America um, because I wanted those two different uh, points of view to come in and really yeah. make it concise and powerful. Um, and it, it really is so important, yeah, to be challenged and to open That's up to it. incredible stuff. Yeah, it's in, incredible, incredible stuff, and I, and I could imagine, like you say, very difficult oh. when you when it's your your first oh, your yeah. first oh. book, your first couple of books. I, I'm, I'm fascinated. I've got a copy here, yeah. and it's um, it, it, it really is incredible stuff. Um, Thank you. What struck me is how well researched. You know, as somebody who's been in the community for a while, uh, and you know, I've been 
vegan five years and run a podcast and so on and so forth, spoken to a lot of people, uh, hopefully learned quite a lot. But as soon as I opened up the book, I, I learned something immediately. Um, uh, and oh, and it, just just go, just going through, it's, it's incredible how many, how it's, it's dotted with, like you say, personal story, but also lots of, lots of actual information, actionable information or, and, and information to help you, you know, in your conversations with others and so on and so forth. It really struck me. What was that process like? Because I'm thinking, you know, finding essays from Plutarch and things like that <laughs> <laughs> that, that, that talk about ve- veganism back in ancient Greece, uh, you know, through to modern day science and so on. That process must have been incredible. Yeah. I'm just bowled over well, that in a year and a, a year and a couple of months, you've written three books of this quality. Oh, thank you. Well, thank you. Uh, it's great to get now to actually start getting feedback for now that they're released and, and to hear what people have to say. But um, yeah, the research process, I actually quite like research, I guess, as well. And the, uh, that first book, I wanted it to be based in, I want it to be contextual because I think... And that's and I love history. If you think what I did by leading tours, that was understanding cultures and history, mm. um, right. and and reading up on that and making history somehow um, uh, exciting and relatable. And so that's what I wanted to do uh, when I started. And that's when I left the travel guide on the side. I said, okay, that's your passion, but back up. Let's get <laughs> let's get a foundation here. If this is going to be a proper, you know, full kind of uh, uh, brand or, or, or stop for people to come for information. Or, mm. And, and I, that process there, I'd seen little bits and little books. I'd done a lot of research in other competition, other vegan books. So there might be a little, uh, there might even be a little blurb or a little box on it, on the history of this. And, you know, somebody said that or a quote from the, uh, uh, an ancient Greek um, philosopher, but I said, let's do a deeper dive. Because uh, I think the context of that, because I think veganism can mm. be seen by many and dismissed as a fad or a diet. And, um, and, and you know, oh my goodness, no, like almost a paleo or this or that or some weird diet. And I'm like, no, yeah. you know, it, it has a proud heritage. I, I, um, and I talked about it in the travel guide as well, veganism around the world, all the different cultures that have embraced, you know, plant-based through the time. Um, yeah. You know, even China, a uh, big consumer of meat, you know, once was mostly a plant-based country. So to highlight that. Um, and I found that really, really rewarding because I think it's so powerful if we think that we have that context, that we have a history, we have a proud history, um, and it's not, you know, um, and I, th- I think, you know, you can relate to people from the past. You can hear Plutarch's essay on animal rights. We're, we're saying the same thing yeah. today. Uh, you know, we haven't really moved the needle f- forward at all. And, and to hear those voices echoing past that you can connect with, there's a sense of empowerment there. You can go, wow, okay, well, I'm part of something that's got a proud, a proud <laughs> heritage or a proud history, you know? This isn't something that was just thought up. I mean, the word, you know, vegan, is, vegan society and vegan wasn't coined to 1944, but they had vegan diets and they had ethical eating is what, um, what I call, you know, through history. Even though they didn't have the term yet or the word, mm. they were discussing it. Many people were practicing it. Um, uh, and, and, you know, it, there's a real, it's incredible, even the religions, you know, if you pick out little passages, often touch on, uh, you know, how we treat mm. animals and, and, and replenish the body spiritually. But... Um, that was really important to me, and I, lo- I love doing that because I-, I wanted to have that that sense that we are part of a movement that g- 
goes back, you know, to ancient times. And I think that can empower us. Uh, and I, I, even that chapter in the book, um, The History of Veganism, uh, reclaim, it's reclaiming our history is what it is. And I think yeah. a lot of uh, social, like this, you know, as a social movement, it's good to do that, to reclaim our history. And I think that's what that, that chapter is called, Reclaiming Our History. Um, and it's something I really wanted to do, and I'm even thinking about it, because that's a chapter, and it's a, quite an in-depth chapter, but it's also, I'd love to do a whole book just on vegan history, on veganism yeah. or animal rights, uh, you know, through the, through the time, like literally, like every mention of it. And for someone who wants to do that deep dive, um, and once, uh, who is a real history buff, because it's a really interesting, when I was doing history, there's lots of things I it left is. out. And then I, I got into, then it led on to meat corruption and the future of meat. And that's even something even just as interesting, isn't it? You know, where we're going. You know, I think the food yeah. systems now are in breakdown. The system's broken. You know, like I said, I grew up in a farm and there were, there were good people doing good things. Uh, and, and, uh, but they also are part of a system that's broken or, you know, breaking down now. You know, you look at the ecological collapse and how we have to face this. Um, the future of me. So I left the history and our proud heritage and go, where are we going here? You know, what's happening, you know, with the dairy industry, with this, with cell-based meat, what they're calling clean meat, you know, just which is an admission anyway mm. that the meat we have is dirty, which I think is quite interesting, <laughs> that they have to kind of, you know, package it and promote it or brand it as this new clean meat. Um, so that's, yeah. that I find really interesting as well. And I did a deep dive into that and uh, where the science is going and the technology and, you know, how they can scale it up and possibly, you know, this might save billions of sentient animals in the future. And, and I think slowly we'll all, without even know it, go towards a vegan diet as, as these are mm. scaled up and, you know, super realistic uh, plant-based meats, which we're getting, you know, beyond burger and impossible and all these things, but increasingly with milks coming out, new milks would be just like, they'll taste like and froth like in your cappuccino, just like milk. And when they're out there and, and the prices are the same, people will slowly just convert, uh, is my hope. Mm. And that's kind of that next chapter that we're at the period now where the farming industry is holding on desperately. Uh, you know, and they've got a, they're, they're fighting a war. Uh, you know, the dairy industry, I think, is collapsing and will collapse in the next 10, 15 years. That's my humble, you know, prediction. <laughs> we can live in hope. You know, all these things are happening, but that was exciting. So when I, did the his when I did the research on the history, you couldn't help but to see where it was going and do the research there and go, well, okay, yeah. this is where we're at. We're at this unique moment in time that we're all living through. And I think that's really exciting because we're part of this. We're living through this in real time that the whole... It's almost like, you know, another agricultural revolution is happening now and is going to happen over the next 10 years. Yeah. It has to, I think, to, you know, for our future. But, you know, the, the farming subsidies have to change and, or, well, they have to go and we have to re, uh, refocus that money into technologies for plant-based and sustainable living. And, you know, it's going to upset a lot of people. It's going to, it's going to be transformative uh, for all of us. It's, it's fascinating. And put me down as a pre-order for that book <laughs> where you look back and then look forward because I, 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 I absolutely <laughs> want to read that. I, I think that, that would be That might be my next book, yes. Really <laughs> I'll let you know. I'll come on again. Absolutely. 
<laughs> Yo, please do, please do. Uh, Todd, Todd, time's getting away from us. It would be remiss of us not to tell folks where to pick up copies of these incredible books. Where, where would folks go and find well, you? Well, um, uh, the main platform, of course, the world's biggest bookseller is Amazon. So, But you can find me uh, on my website, rebelveganlife.com, uh, rebelveganlife.com, rebelveganlife on Instagram, on Facebook, all those kind of platforms. Uh, but you can just put up my name on um, on Amazon, on on I think there's several other places you can buy it. I think it's in all the kind of it's on um, Google Books. It's on all the book platforms. But Todd Sinclair or Rebel Vegan, if you put in Rebel Vegan, um, I always say that you know some people say, well, why is it rebellious? So I'm like, well, we are kind of outside the status quo still. We're still rebelling, and I, I and it yeah. came from that history chapter actually. That I always say those first Rebel Vegans who were really challenging the system, and we're still doing it today. So Rebel Vegan, if you put it anywhere out there, uh, it should come up with my my three three books, my my. Travel Guide is my nicest color, color cover because I'm a bit colorblind, like I said. And uh, this one is the <laughs> one that I kind of designed myself. So, um, yeah, have a look and, and, and let me know. Feedback I would love on either my website or directly with a review. Love to hear from people. I'm still, when I pick up one of these books, I will make a correction and go, no, I want that sentence difference and I'll send it back and change it. So <laughs> it's a work in progress. <laughs> I love it. Todd, it's incredible and, and wonderful chatting with Great you. Great to meet uh, you. Really is, yeah. really is fascinating. Thank you so much for your Thanks time. Thanks so much, Jim.